So in this uh, retreat and this cultivation is called practicing Dhamma, cultivation of Dhamma. And Dhamma is a Pali word, uh, which means a number of things. It means the whole order of things, the true nature of things, uh, where the whole experience becomes unified and steady and balanced. So there's disharmony, a lack of discord, chaos, confusion, corruption, purity is the is the and the harmony is the result of Dhamma practice. Also refers to the Buddha's teaching which is to clear through the confusions and the distortions that uh, get inherited and established um, and the um, crucial terms you see laid down in the chanting are sanditiko directly witnessable kaleko not not about time not delayed in time but immediate also not something that varies in terms of time or place it's not bound up in that flow of events it's beyond it's it's constant it's timeless Ehipasuko means it invites you to come and look. What's going on here? Check it out. What about belief? It's about an invitation for you to investigate your experience. A certain hmm, observant eye or a sensitive touch. Don't just go along your own tracks, your own habits assumptions but really what's happening come and have a look into the way your mind works what affects you what becomes habitual what traps you what frees you look into it something to be you don't have to look very far to find the way out of suffering it's right in your own experience Opanayiko means it's relevant, it's pertinent, it, it leads to the results. Pachatang means it's directly accessible in your own experience. You, you are the one, your mind, your awareness sees it, you don't have to adopt something else. It's right in your own experience, however humble, mundane that may be or stressful it's right there Pachitang Vedidapo in he is something you get clear seeing through the faculty of wisdom you're seeing things clearly as they are it's a very inviting presentation and this is the epitome of the Buddha's teaching it's just like, come look check it out Realizing that the mind that is invited to check things out is far more alert and bright than the mind is, that is told to learn something. It just kind of got you know, you know. It's not an indoctrination. It's an invitation to you. What's happening for you? Because what's happening for you at a certain level is what's happening for everybody. And always has happened for everybody. <laughs> That's why the teaching is kind of timeless, because it's referring to the same uh, conundrum of the human being. And this is uh, can be expressed in a number of ways, but uh, and there's a certain amount of uh, uh, feeling of incompleteness, like you want something, something's not right yet. This quality of dukkha, things are not complete yet. Something isn't something is is nagging at us, something isn't fitting. One way this is uh, epitomized is the um, the way that our, our experience is so much measured in terms of sense contact, sense data, which are always running away. Sights and sounds, 
slip through us but then they come bouncing in when we don't want them and they slip through, the good ones slip through and the unfortunate ones bounce in you feel permeated by sense contact and none of it is really eternally satisfying uh, but also we can't defend ourselves sense, sense data we're sort of in this conundrum and these sense data as it touches the chitta as it touches our our awareness, our heart, our spirit there's a certain you know, disturbance we're agitated, we're excited we're irritated we're, you know, something bounces around and we get impacted by things it's called disturbance contact the mind bounced along by this and by that and then excited by this and irritated by that and bedding down in that and then has to move on to that sense contact so in some ways the, the funny thing is that although we seem so embedded in this world of sense sense data we don't really fit in it because we can't settle down in it it doesn't it doesn't quite fit us and this is the nature of chitta heart awareness spirit yeah. which has qualities such as uh, yeah, goodwill uh, openness spaciousness clarity that are not about sense contact they're of another nature goodwill is not about sense contact it's not about um, openness it's, it's about the ability to be receptive to and not in, not stuck on any sense contact mm. patience perseverance uh, dignity uh, clarity morality this is of another this is of another dimension isn't it and these are things that fit us better because these are things we can stabilize and and focus on to give us a firmer mooring than sight, sound, touch, taste and smell and so forth give us a firmer mooring and it's just, just you know yeah, this is just how it is isn't it so when we seek that, that sense of a firm mooring, so we orient ourselves in our life, we can't just go along with sight, sound, touch, taste. You want something that's, that's stronger and deeper than that. So this is this, always a search, and this directing to these qualities of, of chitta, of mind, of heart, of spirit, uh, of which these are a few. And there are, there are many terms that, that could describe this, this qualities, qualities of the spirit and these fundamentally they give us a very firm axis firm centre they also give us an open heart because we're no longer defensive we're no longer grabbing we're no longer contracting around wanting this and wanting that we're not fighting this and fighting that yeah. We're not trying to grab, you know, have this and have that. Keep open, and in that openness, when the chitta is steady and stabilized, phenomena can pass through like a cloud, and yet a very firm, centered cloud allows phenomena to pass through. Of course, it doesn't mean you, you can't engage with things, but you have a choice. You pick what is appropriate or useful so then we instead of being dominated by sense contact we're able to select and direct ourselves through the world of the senses what do you choose to see what do you choose to express what do you choose to do and it's not going to be the wisest actions are not going to be just bouncing off the agreeable or the disagreeable nature of sense contact the wisest direction is going to be coming from when you're moving from your place of integrity isn't it 
in place of honesty, in place of goodwill, those would be the most skillful place to come from. And then the openness allows that, that quality of the spirit to emanate into the world around you. And you feel, ah, oh, now I've landed. Now I belong. I'm integrated into the true nature of things. So was just to recap this morning, I was talking about um, this uh, essentially spiritual domain, uh, which all, all teachers and spiritual practices have named these qualities. They're not, uh, you know, um, emphasized different ones perhaps. And the Buddha presented a very rich presentation of many, many qualities of citta, of the, of the clear heart, the bright heart, the strong heart, the pure spirit, the liberated spirit, and so forth, many, many qualities. And these will all be arise from, not from just thinking, I want that one, I want that one, or that one, but they will emanate naturally when the citta, when the heart, the spirit is stabilized and integrated and cleared of obstructions. So much of, you know, you can see Buddhist practice is either, you know, how to arrive at states of purity, because of state, how to, how to clear out impurity. Yeah. So often the approach can seem kind of negative, because we're talking about the difficulties that we need to just release, recognizing if those are released, cleared, then purity is there. Yeah. It's not something you have to stick on. You don't have to add purity, you just eliminate impurity and the result is... So it's always that clearing of a basis that was always there, but got obscured, buried under these distortions. Or ignorance, not knowing, distortions, obscurations. So today I was mentioning how our this property of, of jitta it has an energetic capacity to it. It has an energy form, and that energy form is can be held steadily. This is the cultivation of one of the cultivations of meditation: how to stabilize, steady the jitta into what I called refer to a fluid structure. It's not like a rock. <laughs> it's got the the quality like a, of water, but it's it's a steady stream. Yeah, so it's still and flowing at the same time, like a, like a river is, or like a fountain is. Uh, and within that, there's a, there's a great uh, fluidity, so we're not locked down, but it's dynamic. And how this, this quality gets um, dissipated into, say, um, through certain corrupted, Psychologies. I talked about three, uh, you know, psychologies that we all get inducted into. There's the performance psychology: how to be better, how to get on, how to be on top, how to, you know, the competitive, performance-driven mind, uh, which never arrives at the finishing point because it's always because it's locked into could be better. So as it's locked into could be better, whatever you point, you arrive at, you could be better then. <laughs> so in a race you can never win, you know. So this particular psychology, I'm not saying everybody's steeped in it, but this is definitely an influence that occurs to us. And the, the shadow effect of it is this feeling if you're not quite good enough. You're not quite good enough, are you? There's something wrong with you. You're not quite good enough. You're not as good as... You're not as fast as, you're not as strong as, you're not as smart as, you're not as bright, you know. <laughs> it's always fine. You know? There's something wrong with you. And once you get into that, of course, then things go, do go wrong with you because your sense of faith and confidence dissolves. You have loss of self-respect and you start doing stupid things. You know, People get like food addictions, uh, substance abuse, because they, lack, they lose a sense of self-respect. This is, this is dangerous stuff. You know, when we lose that sense of self-respect because we think we should be something else. 
and we're unworthy. And then he buries that, un- buries that unworthiness through various addictive um, experiences. Could be just watching TV all the time. I mean, life is pretty addictive. <laughs> it could be, you know, it's not all, all booze and drugs. It could be playing Scrabble. It could be watching Netflix every day. You know, and you're thinking the power of the human mind and the potential we have. And yet a good amount of people just are sitting watching some soap opera on telly. Oops. (laughs) 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 This is a power cup. (laughs) And then if there is, then, you know, we get bored and restless because we haven't cultivated properly. So this inadequacy, make sure that you're aware of that. It's not to be critical, but realise we've all been affected by that. And um, when you get into meditation, make sure you don't think, oh, I'm not as good as I could be, I can never do this. You hear that, that voice, you know, look, what's happening here? What's happening? Really get into it. What's the feeling of it? Yeah. Um, now I talked about gratification psychology, which is the sense in which you have to gobble something, consume something in order to feel complete. Naturally food, but also, you know, entertainments, uh, even status, awards, performance, you know, so you get some status or something. And again, you get consumerism. People just go out and binge on shopping, buying stuff, don't really need it, but feel good to be taking something in yeah and you think this is kind of a bit sad really isn't it <laughs> that we can only feel good by taking something material and buying it i mean are we that barren hmm. um uh, and the other one i think is um security this sense of anxiety of which all these mixed together. You don't have a firm foundation. You feel uncertain, unsteady, insecure, anxious about the other presence of other people, anxious about the future. Um, and there's plenty of things to feel anxious about. But these psychologies target and touch into the phenomena that will confirm them. The mind gets led to see the particular qualities that these that its psychologies are driving it towards. So we can start to certainly see things in terms of performance, gratification, security. And we don't and so your your attention gets drawn by those those qualities. And attention is a very uh, fundamental property or fundamental action of the mind attention forms a focus around something yeah that means you know really like just even with our eyes you know just for your visual focus you could probably your eyes can be a witness a, a wide field of visual awareness you know like what I'm doing with my hands right now stretching to both sides of my head I can just see the edges of my hands. Now, if, I, if I'm aware of those two, two hands, then everything in between them kind of fuzzes out. So normally, the visual focus will tend to about 3, or five, three to 5% of the visual field. Right? You know, select a small sliver of what's there and a focus on that. That's called attention. It focuses on that. Yeah, what do you what do you notice? What do you see? Probably when you're in a room full of people, you probably see naturally you see people's faces. You probably don't see their socks. <laughs> socks aren't that significant. We see what 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 we find is going to be most meaningful. Like, what's his expression about? Is he okay? Is she okay with me? You know? So we look for things that have a certain emotional significance. So our attention is primed. 
So it's not neutral. It's driven by another factor which is called intention. There's a certain motivation in what we see. Um, I do a lot of um, good amount of editing of Dhamma books, uh, taking transcriptions and converting them into written texts. So I read all these texts, you know, 5,000 words on non-attachment, on dispassion, and it should be a semicolon, not a comma, but a semicolon, you know, and that 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 word's misspelled. That should be in italics, not in Roman. So I'm doing this kind of thing. And you read these texts about all about release and letting go, and you're getting that's a semicolon. <laughs> well, I don't know what this word's all about, but I'm noticing the semicolon's <laughs> wrong. The parenthesis is is incorrect. You're using it should be a double quote, not a single quote on that. And the, this word called non-attachment, letting go. Non-attachment, letting go. They they can, they should have the, the they should have a little more space around the letter O. <laughs> and you don't read the text at all, <laughs> or get the meaning of it, because you, you're doing this kind of proofreading thing. Yeah. And in fact, the the problem is, if you do get involved in the text, you don't do the proofreading properly, because you start, hey, this is a really interesting book. You don't notice where the commas are there. <laughs> So you have to skew your attention a particular way. And so now I'm being a proofreader rather than someone who's receiving instruction. Therefore I look with a certain kind of eye, a critical eye to that. Yeah? Yeah. When you listen to somebody speak, you probably don't really give much attention to their voice tone, but perhaps to the particular words they're using. And yet the voice tone will have an effect. We may not notice it. So attention is directed by an intention which isn't necessarily, a, sometimes it's a chosen intention like my proofreading and sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's like an emotional intention. What will provide, what will give me the happiest, most comfortable uh, results or what do I need to be if I'm, if I'm a fearful being, I look around and notice you know, things bother me or if I'm a thief come to this room I notice where the locks are and where the windows are open for an architect I come to the room I look at the size of the roof and the roof beams if I'm a uh, you know, meditator I look at the cushions and the shrine what do you see? depends on your intention and these then give rise to contact the contact is of two kinds. It's the kind we called, I was talking about earlier, called disturbance contact, which is just something sense data hits. Yeah. And it hits consciousness. It's visual consciousness, sees something like your eye, you, something strikes your attention, you could say. Something grabs your eye, right? You walk past the shop and something grabs your eye. Something grabs your hearing. Oh, that's really great sound, music. It feels like it, doesn't it? You're walking on something really grabs you. Wow, look at that, stunning. Fantastic car. What a great dress. Oh, she looks good. You can feel yourself grabbed by it. This is called impact contact or disturbance contact. Something impacts. Within that, there's another kind of contact. So we have what are called the six consciousnesses, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And the mind contact, we see something and the mind interprets it. So you see a sight and the mind says, oh, that reminds me of, that's beautiful. Oh, that's uh, sexy. Oh, that's... uh, um, fruity, you know, really looks like a good juicy mango or something. So the eyes don't know that, they just see a shape and a colour, and the mind interprets it. And that interpretation strikes the heart. This interpretation contact is called meaning contact. 
It's not what a thing is, but what it means to me. And that's what stirs the heart. That's what stirs the heart. She looks frightening to me. She looks beautiful to me. He looks threatening to me. He reminds me of my uncle. You know. Yeah. And so these these create these what are called felt meanings or perceptions, and these strike the heart. The jitta, the jitta then rises up, gets activated. And the point of all this is to realize just how what is stirring you is not exactly the sense data. Because if that's the way it was, there'd be no way out. What is stirring you, what excites, what annoys, what gladdens, what disappoints, what is not the sense data, but how they're interpreted. This is where we get stirred or angry or uh, or whatever seduced because this quality could be definitely you, you know there's not much you can do about sight and sound you've still got eyes and ears but you can do something about what's getting stirred by it and this is the training in cultivation so you can see something and the Dhamma practice comes down to one particular um, reference point. How does this feel? So the entry into Dhamma, into the reality of things, is not through thought, which describes something. It's through feeling, that which touches, stirs, stimulates, gladdens, depresses. Coming into the felt experience is the direct experience the Buddha is pointing to. The felt experience, not the how we describe things, but how things impact us. He says, now this, although in some ways it's extremely, it can be extremely raw and uh, poignant, it's something that could be changed. Because things feel a certain way because of the unfulfilled nature of the the heart. As we could recognize, food looks a lot tastier to a hungry person than to somebody who's just finished a meal. Same stuff, very obvious example. So what's happened? You may think it's just because your stomach's full. But uh, when we look at things like sights and sounds, how one gets bored by them, numbed out to them, they no longer have this effect. Our mind is craving for something to be stimulated by. He said, this quality of the the hunger for stimulation and the fear of stimulation can be quelled through fulfilling the heart in itself, fulfilling the jitta, fulfilling the spirit. So it feels it is feeding on itself. It is satisfied in itself. It is secure in itself, therefore it no longer seeks that those qualities from the world around it. Therefore it is dignified, independent, capable, instead of trying to draw qualities in from the world around, but actually of emanating qualities out into the world around. And this is the transformation that's possible for, for human minds. But for this we have to train and focus. <coughs> now, training and focusing is in meditation is uh, the same qualities, attention, intention, contact. You know? And you have to, first of all, you frame up your attention. So we're learning, trying to cultivate that. Just 
starting to unplug from things that are not right now relevant by things that are directly harmful but also things that are just they're okay but they're not relevant so we switched off phones nothing wrong with phones particularly but right now we want to you know really sharpen our attention by simplifying the data that's coming in you know? switched off our phones and recommending we don't talk uh, read either very little or nothing at all just enough to give you reminders perhaps if that's what's suitable and attend to the simplicity of this body because it's not the body itself is so special but this body contains or is the container of the energies uh, that drive encourage gladden soothe <laughs> and and uh, harmonize the chitta in this very body as i said is the arising uh, of skillful phenomena in this very body because the, the energy in the body is what you know jitta feeds on to either so if the body energy is satisfied and steady and calm then the heart no longer seeks that from somewhere else it feels complete in itself and this completion we call samadhi sense of the mind is unified in it so for this we draw a line around our field of attention saying could we just stay within embodiment the body moving walking standing sitting reclining stretching scratching you know whatever it's doing and very much also just in the present so we begin to unplug from these powerful virtual realities that we all use called time you know time which is a very powerful but virtual reality time there's not enough time there's too much time what am i going to do with my time i haven't got enough time i'm not on time i'm late what is this stuff <laughs> what is it feel it time is the drive in the nervous system isn't it time is the stagnation in the nervous system yeah. time is a sense of oh god it's me waiting around nervous system stagnation frustrated yeah time is it oh my god i've got to get done by tuesday night oh no time is the panic in the nervous system right time is the well i don't know what's going to happen next year is the wandering of the mind this time remember in direct reality there's no such thing as tuesday or thursday or nine o'clock there's the felt experience of what's happening in the energetic system of mind now this is why bring yourself into the present as a way both of really recognizing and owning up to the fact that the future which for all of us is a potent virtual reality that's all it is we do not know the next moment there's no way we even know what the next moment will bring so why don't you just rest in this one and let it unfold let it change of its own nature void of the stress of panic void of the dullness of stagnation void of the craving to find something so it's not so the the kind of embedded distorted energies that the time consciousness contains purify say so there's nothing wrong it's essentially with having a structure such as saturdays and tuesdays and nine o'clock and 2002 they're useful but when do these effects get embedded into them? you know the panic the pressure the sense of not enough time the stagnation times on my hands because we're not really our, our energy has become spun out by those and these distorting effects get embedded in so in this quality of just coming to the present just releasing that 
releasing ourselves from the burden of consequence that we have to get something in the future. And then there's no way in which the mind will ever settle and be consolidated as long as the sense of time is not challenged. Present moment, feeling it, staying centered in embodied experience. Because this is where the energies that those forces stir up, the energy of impulsiveness, or if you like, the opposite extreme, the stagnation, the flat, dull energies. This is where these energies can be worked upon in this very body. Not to say the mind is irrelevant, but working on this. It comes down to such qualities as just breathing out. Breathing in. And the pause between the out-breath and the in-breath and the pause between the in-breath and the out-breath. This moment when stillness and the shifting, the energy as we breathe out, the energy softening and releasing. We breathe in, energy brightening and strengthening. That's, that's, that's the flow of reality. That's the flow of reality, isn't it? And everything, all life, does that. The seasons do that. The rising of the spring, decline of the autumn, the winter. The rising of the sun, setting of the sun, the night. The rising of the moon, the passing of the moon, shifting into dawn. Everything is, is in this cyclical turning phase, phases. And our own bodies and breaths are doing that. As we all would recognize this, uh, though we can, you know, it sounds true, but really doing it, just getting your attention to attend to that, where it doesn't find it that interesting compared with, you know, watching a movie or listening to something about quantum physics or something, much more stimulating than one pokey old breath going in and out. <laughs> So, but remember, we're not watching a breath, we're feeling the energies of breathing in and breathing out as they permeate the body. This does take some time for the body to soften enough to, to, to sense these subtle qualities of breathing in, breathing out. But you can certainly um, work towards that by the sense of intention. Yeah. So if one's intention is receptive and welcoming, that certainly helps a lot. Now if your intention is demanding, I've got to be mindful of the breathing in and breathing out, I must do this, then everything gets seized up. And softening and welcoming and uh, adding tonal qualities to breathing, such as... uh, using sound. Um, so today I was talking a little bit about just breathing out, bringing to mind the sound of the letter O, and, and stretching that sound internally over the entire out-breath. Yeah. When the sound as you breathe in. Now you could use other sounds, but these vowel sounds have quite a resonant effect. This is very much um, standard often in, certainly in Theravada Buddhism, Thai Theravada Buddhism, you just use these, these syllables, you place them on the, on the breathing. Um, 
because there you can keep bringing them back when your mind drifts off and they've got a tonal quality that has a certain uh, agreeable resonance to it now if that doesn't hit you know touch you then um, try to feel the breathing as if it's running through your fingers now generally we attend our primary organ of attention is the eyes of course we see things that's how what we're most dogs are mostly noses mostly we're mostly eyes so our idea of attention is a gaze eyes although they're great for seeing distinctions they don't have much feeling in them with visual consciousness you're always a distance from what you're seeing this gives a very cool, neutral effect. Visual consciousness is primarily neutral. It's about fact-finding. How big is that? How long is that? What colour is that? So, What shape is that? It's about defining object definition. And this doesn't work very well for breathing in and breathing out. Because it has no resonance to it. And so for calming and soothing, visual, using a visual way of, a, of attending to your breathing is hard, hard work. But what does attend to breathing uh, uh, very well is something like tactile consciousness. Which again is extremely sensitive. If you can just sense what your fingertips can detect... You, know, you can probably, if you run your fingertip and your thumb tip together, you could probably feel your fingerprints, slight indentations in your fingers. You could probably feel minute little scars or wrinkles. They're exceptionally attuned. Sense organ. You know, probably better than our ears, but they're, they're very finely attuned. And the quality of touch is such that one feature it has which the visual consciousness doesn't have is, is it's immediately feeling. Because when you touch something, it touches you, right? And there could be issues there of one kind or another. So you're very attuned to how something touches, right? That's built in. Because it could either kill you or please you, right? Visual consciousness, you look at something and think about it. Whether you like it or not, buy that or not, maybe, maybe, maybe. Because you're distant from it. Tactile consciousness is no distance. It's right on you. So that quality is extremely sensitive and vibrant. You can't be neutral about that. And so, now clearly we're not handling the breath with our fingertips. We are, it's moving through our body. Right? So, isn't it most appropriate that something that's experienced in the body is attended to with the body's sense organ, which is the organ of touch, and the particular qualities that touch has to it? Now, clearly, when we touch something, we feel it, that's obvious. But you notice, as we all do, without even thinking about it, you can moderate touch to a very fine degree. Right? You're holding an egg, is different from holding a hammer. You know, if you're stroking a kitten, it's not the same as sanding wood. Right? If you're stroking, you know, uh, an animal, calming it down, it's a very light touch if you're hammering something out it's different the touch consciousness attunes to what you're touching so the quality of the intentionality shifts that make sense so you see a rock you pick it up you probably feel the graininess of it 
And your body immediately knows how to pick that up, how much effort is used to pick that up. It immediately gets that. You feel the graininess of it. You see a metal object, you might touch it. Is that hot? No. Immediately get that. And you see something like a, a living creature, which you are, right? You know that when you touch it, it's going to respond. Okay, if it's a horse or a human being, particularly how you touch it, how you touch them, you're pretty tuned in to what's the appropriate way of holding it, right? Whether you're, Whatever your intention is, whether it's amorous or just friendly or guiding someone or re- restraining someone or pushing someone away, your touch is very much moderated by your attitude that you have towards that and how you sense that. Now, if we're sensing our own breath body as something we hold with a sense of it's precious, it's brightening, it's a gift. It's magical because it can suffuse us with very good feeling. It's different from just witnessing a breath like it's a mechanical device shuttling backwards and forwards where you just get bored with it. So you try to sense your breath moving through your body, the swelling, the way it presses the muscles, the flesh open, the subtle qualities of the breath as it moves through your throat, the whole of it, any of it. And so you're handling it like you're holding a stream, a thread, or water, or however it feels to you. And a very immediate sense of that. So that we're really feeling the breathing, not just noticing it, but feeling it. And then there's an increasing sense of your attention then will go to it because feeling something intimate, life-giving, vibrant itself is certainly attractive. If it's not attractive, you have to force it and you get tired. If it's not attractive, you have to push yourself to do it and you get bored. Not another work project, I've had enough for today. If it's attractive, gladdening, warming, encouraging, yeah, I want to be with that. So, this often means we have to even redress what we imagine breathing is. Probably, you know, most of us got the background idea Streams in through nose, into your lungs, out again, oxygenates the blood and so forth. But that is not what the Buddha asked us to, to focus on. He said, focus on the experience of breathing in and breathing out. Not even the breath, but the whole experience of what bodies do, the felt experience of the body as it does that. And if you really attuned to it and how you can support it through your body posture through your spine through relaxing your shoulders through unplugging from other stimulation through taking your time to sense what's happening in the abdomen diaphragm the chest the throat the head the whole body then it's going to be something where you feel this rather marvellous cleansing effect, a brightening effect of breathing in, breathing out. And it's attractive. Uh, you know, it, it's not fantastic, but it it's, gives you a sense that this, this is better than all that jangling stuff that... I, you know, the jangling of sights and sounds and stimulation. This is, this is better. This is, the rest of it, you know, kind of sense data seems a rather coarse, clattery. And this is refined. Because to attend to this, my mind has to become more sensitive, more valuing. It asks something of me. Yeah. A lot of sense, sense impact just 
dumps into you. This one you have to rise up and train into. This is why even if we don't get that sense of feeling collected, at least the sense of rising up and putting some energy into being more sensitive and centered and intimate with your own body, that's a no that's a very valuable intention. Because if you do that, you will not stress your body. You will not, you know, push it to a nervous breakdown. You will not damage it. And you'll have a sense of self-regard that is respectful and dignified and worthy. This is why the sense of intimacy in one's own body is extremely useful. Um, Kind of reckless, random outgoing that we're so often encouraged to participate in. So we start to change the meaning contact. What does breathing it out mean? What's the significance of it? It's not about doing something right. Yeah. It's not about being the best meditator. It's not about getting away from something. It's about finding something that's beautiful, valuable, life-giving. And it will always stay with you until your dying breath. There's nothing more reliable than that. Except that the training of the mind, when the mind has attuned to that, the spiritual qualities that arise from such a training are such that go beyond death. The passing where the body, the spirit is released. So in this very life, we experience comfort and well-being, gladness and security, uh, moderation and happiness. And as the body passes away, the spirit is released into spiritual dimensions. And there's nothing, <laughs> it's not bad, is it? So, definitely worth considering. This Dhamma is direct, it's encouraging you. If anything that's said, you think, oh, is that true? Is that how it is? I never thought of it like that. Check it out. And uh, in this very, your bone body experience, you've got something you can, it's not a theory. And it's going to be with you. And if you can, if you don't clarify and purify it, it will certainly have results. (laughs) You know, you feel dull, confused, agitated. If you do train it, you'll get results. Um, And this is our our, uh, aim in this few days, to find that firm center, that open heart, that will be for our welfare and benefit.